Welcome to the Insider Outsider Podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders around the globe about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WMFDP and FDP Global specialize in helping insiders understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders, as well as outsiders, in partnering and building inclusive teams and organizations. I'm your host, Michael Welp, co-founder of the diversity and inclusion leadership development firm WMFDP and FDP Global, also a TEDx presenter and author of the book, Four Days to Change. This past November, I had the opportunity to do a webinar discussing the topic of belonging in corporate America. Our panelists were Michael Collins, a consultant at WMFDP and FTP Global, and Julia Taylor Kennedy, the Executive Vice President at Quoqual. Quoqual is a nonprofit think tank that advises companies on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workspace. And Julia was able to share with us some of the findings from their research on the power of belonging in the workplace. Today, we are looking forward to continuing this conversation and exploring why belonging is such an important piece of effective and human-centered leadership in the workplace. Let's start with, uh, you know, how did you define belonging and what what have you learned about that? Um, Julie, what, what Thanks, Michael. And thank you to both Michaels. I'm very excited for this conversation and always love connecting with you. And either one of you, please jump in as I move through this with anything that comes up, um, reflections, questions. Uh, I work, as Michael mentioned, I work for an organization called Coquel that studies diversity, equity, and inclusion. We put out a few studies a year. And when we took on the topic of belonging, what we noticed was you hear the idea of belonging so many places in life right now. And we're thinking about belonging actively because a lot of our formal ways of being in community have changed and have shifted. You know, we're not necessarily as active in a religious community. Families don't necessarily live in the same town anymore. And so belonging is one of these core human needs in uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and psychology, right up there with love. And where do we find belonging? A lot of us find it in the society we live in, the family we grow up in, and frankly, increasingly, the place where we work. We spend so many hours working alongside others. Um, And so these notions of belonging at Coppola, we saw it coming up in conversations about immigration, pop culture, Michelle Obama's book and memoir, it was there, and companies we're using belonging more and more, especially in diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. But there wasn't a real clear definition of what belonging means at work because it was kind of a new concept in the workplace. So our research sometimes looks at how we fall short on our aspirations towards diversity or equity or inclusion. With belonging, that was there, but we saw there wasn't even a common definition of what the term meant. So if we were going to be more intentional about creating, meeting this need of employees at work and creating a sense of belonging, we had to know what we were working towards. So that was our first step 
um, in the research. We used our tried and true methodology at Cokewell, which is a mix of qualitative and quantitative research. We did a lit review to understand how belonging had been studied in different contexts and found it hadn't really been studied very much in the workplace. So we held a bunch of focus groups to understand how it was coming up for people and to come up and also in our lit review to come up with ways that we could sort of tweak and adapt a definition of belonging for the workplace. Then we fielded a survey, a nationally representative survey with more than 4,000 respondents um, in the US and in a few markets around the globe uh, and conducted several dozen interviews. Also that we could get a sense of what belonging meant and how it was showing up uh, or not showing up for different people in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So the definition that we landed on was really that belonging at work rests on four elements. And this was derived from people's sense of belonging and when it was high, when they had these four things in place. Um, the four elements are when you feel seen for your unique contributions, element two, connected to your coworkers, element three, supported in your daily work and career development, and element four, proud of your organization's values and purpose, you feel you belong at work. So seen, connected, supported, and proud. And seen, connected, and supported are all sort of external factors. You know, you can, you can work towards them yourself, but a lot of it is impacted by how you're treated by others. Proud is something that comes from inside, that's kind of impacted by your, your outside environment, but really comes from you. And so we think about belonging, being an individual in dialogue with the community that they're a part of. And yeah. so this is all very feelings oriented and our audience is primarily business people. Um, <laughs> we wanted to under, to say to them how much feelings matter. So we measured that too. And what we saw is that when individuals have a high sense of belonging and we put it on this scale of one to 10, when they have a high sense of belonging, they're way more likely to stay longer at their organizations. So important these days, right? They're way less likely to feel stalled in their careers. And there are also benefits when it comes to their engagement, their loyalty, and how likely they are to recommend um, their company to others. That's awesome. That's a lot of good clarity and I know I think of those seen, connected, and supported as relational oriented. Like you said, proud is like the accumulation of where does that all land in me? Michael, what, what comes up for you as you hear Julia's definitions and some of the impacts? I, um, you know, I, I agree uh, with, with the, you know, the sort of the elements uh, that have been identified through this study. I think they're, they're spot on. Uh, I think it's a good combination of uh, of elements as well. Um, I think one of the last points that she made about, you know, business people generally don't talk a lot about feelings right. uh, is also spot on um, that it is necessary for leaders to understand that people do feel they feel in the workplace. They feel outside the workplace, but oftentimes Business people say, well, you know, this is just business. You know, let's just stick to business. And uh, 
there's not much of a conversation about how people might feel regarding mm-hmm. the decisions that are made by leaders uh, regarding the techniques that are, you know, shown in people's behavior uh, regarding the outcomes, God. you know, that, that, that come from those decisions. So the, the, the points that she made about feelings, I think is, is very key for leaders to get, they need to yeah. get that. I think there's a lot of leaders um, who would prefer and true for men and white men too, particularly would prefer to take that whole messy uncertainty of feelings out of the workplace and just, or equate it to a number and it's objective. Give me the data of belonging on one to 10 or whatever it is. It's like somehow it's not the messy emotion that it is. It's just data. And, and, but it's reflecting of people's lived experience, as you said, in a relational context. And so I have to think about as a leader, what do I, how do I impact the, the feeling in people? If I'm in a meeting uh, of leaders and it doesn't look like the rest of the organization fully, do I have a, a lens in my background where I'm thinking about whose voice isn't here? What yes. would they bring? Wh- who am I going to ask to get that perspective? And, you know, or what am I going to challenge? Am I going to challenge my colleagues that we don't have some of the voices here we need and we want to go get them? And, you know, that hasn't, and they might not like that, hear that, you know, that's another, that's an extra, extra thing, you know, or whatever it's like. And yet that's something I can do as a leader to just be conscious of who's involved, who's, who's voices here, who's not, have we considered the consequences of things on the different groups of what we call insiders and outsiders and yeah, it all comes back to the belonging is sort of like the downstream impact of a lot of whether you're inclusive or not and whether you're honoring and even seeing differences. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think that business people in general have a tendency towards speed. Let's get it done. Let's get it done fast. Yeah. And when that has you know, when that takes center stage, then 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 we, you know, we discount this idea of feelings. Uh, we discount this idea of what does this environment feel like for mm. for people? What does the room feel like when I'm in it as the leader? To your point, do people who are quiet feel as if they they can speak up, they mm-hmm. can raise their hand? And that has to do with how people feel. That mm-hmm. that has 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 a lot to do with with how people uh, feel that they're seen. It, it has a lot to do with whether folks feel they're connected. Do they feel like they are supported? Those those elements that um, come up from this this study, I think, are just I, I can't say it enough. They're they're spot on. Yeah, yeah. So slowing down. Um, there's something about really needing to slow down to listen and to take in the feelings and to allow them land. Um, and it's sometimes more comfortable just to speed right by them. And, um, and there's consequences that come back. And, you know, I, I saw a statistic this morning in this phase of great resignation that over half the workplace is considering leaving their job. Yes. You know, so that's a, you know, there's, 
maybe a, a, a stick of dynamite about ready to go off in every workplace or this, this massive uh, change that, you know, think about losing, you know, a quarter of your employees or half, you know, worst case, like, how would that be? What would the cost of that be versus the cost of slowing down and really engaging folks that you have? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we do need to rethink how we conduct business and, and mm. what does it mean to conduct business? Business does not necessarily mean that we have to do things quickly, fast, uh, because oftentimes we make mistakes. Yeah, we, we make big mistakes when we don't really hear uh, from people that have been unheard, for example. Yeah. And so I think that we do need to uh, rethink what the workplace will look like, what it what it what it should feel like, what's going to be different in the future, mm -hmm. because to your point, people are leaving mm -hmm. and there has to be an acceptance of the trauma that we have all gone through. There has to be an acceptance of that. And this whole study about belonging, I think, is a great lever. It's a, it's a great um, tool yeah. uh, that we can use, you know, to yeah. rethink what, what, what business will look like in the future or should look like in the future. Yeah, you're right. And um, uh, everybody's uh, questioning, do I really belong? when they're so stressed and so traumatized around yeah. all the constant change. And, you know, people are saying what really matters and, you know, so what matters is more than a paycheck. What matters is more than, um, you know, a, a, you know, comfort or, uh, or, you know, a since they're not able to live in a comfortable, you know, norm of existence anyway, because of COVID they're like, I may as well do more what I want. Yes. And, um, but you said acceptance of trauma. And I think it's, it's like, what, what is it, what, what does it also mean for us as leaders and, and to, to actually create a place where people can maybe process some of that trauma or work through or have some support or are, are we all sitting in it? And I know like, from the political organization of the elections and things, sometimes people don't really realize the trauma they're in until it's over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someday when COVID is actually faded more, we may actually all have time to feel even more of this craziness that we've been in. And, uh, you know, if we have a sense of belonging, I would think I'm more safer to talk about some of that stuff in a way that I feel supported and acknowledged and, um, able to, you know, kind of get it off my chest and feel feel connected to people in this turbulent time. So it's actually a really important time to lean into belonging. What else do you think needs to happen with this trauma of COVID amongst us besides acceptance and really hearing each other more? I think that leaders have to be bold in their opposition to distraction. And, and, and what I mean by that is that there's, there's these huge events that, that have taken place as well in the midst of the pandemic. We've had, um, you know, an insurrection and we've had all kinds of other economic challenges that have happened, health challenges, world events, um, uh, 
you know, disasters, world disasters. I mean, there have been so many things that have happened. And with um, with the um, electronic communication, we see these things instantly. And, mm-hmm. and there's a constant barrage of them. And so I think yeah. for leaders, one thing that that we should consider is that we become bold in our opposition to distraction. And so if a person, for example, in your workplace starts to feel like they belong, and then all these things happen, and the leader doesn't say anything or acts as if nothing has happened, then you know their belonging, their their sense of belonging could could wane. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so I think that that it's important for for leaders to just have a bold opposition to all these distractions. To, to and, speak up, to, to sort of name the elephants in the room, yes. or to, to to not allow the group to just pretend that's not happening. Yes, this is a time of COVID. This is a time of political polarization. This is a time of of um, you know all the protests that have been happening the last year and a half. And where did that go and stuff? So, we, Michael and I haven't been really hogging the time. Julia took a had to take a phone call. From a doctor and you're back now so uh julia we we're, we we're just talking about those first two uh findings and definitions and you know how it connects into COVID and how critical it is to create belonging in this time um and slow down to have time for people to feel acknowledge that there are feelings these are all about feelings as you said so yeah i think we can talk about how belonging varies across some different identity groups so I know you have some interesting data about that. I appreciate that. And I also appreciate you supporting me in that need to, to step away um, and, and extending that to me too. Um, the one thought I had from the piece of the conversation I heard when I got back is uh, I think acknowledging those distractions um, that are really legitimate for people that are coming up right now is making them feel seen, right? Is saying, okay, you see the pain that I'm in. And you can acknowledge that I'm in pain and we can then move through it together. So, um, yeah, I I plus one that, Michael. Mm. Um, Okay, so the the second thing that I really wanted to talk about, um, as you indicated, Michael, was how widely we saw belonging really does vary if we're looking at people's identities. And we predicted this. Because we know that different people are sort of part of the majority group to different degrees in our society. The way it shook out looked at, you know, there were a couple surprises in the way it shook out. But basically what we saw, which is not surprising, is on the score of belonging that people get, white men were likely to have the highest scores. And women of color were most likely to have the lowest scores. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a spread and, um, white men and white women have the highest average belonging scores. And then, you know, black men, Latinx women, Latinx men, Asian men, black women, Asian women all have, uh, average lower belonging scores. And so if you go back to what I just shared about engagement, retention, loyalty, all those career outcomes um, 
and likelihood that people will then stay with your organization and bring all of their ideas to your organization, we find that those who are outside of the majority are less likely to to do all of those things because they're lacking that sense of belonging. Um, We also found that looking globally, there's there's variability in belonging scores. And we attribute a lot of this to cultural uh, factors that countries like China and India are relationship-driven cultures in ways that the U.S. and the U.K. are not. And so we find that on average, employees in China, India, and Mexico, actually, which is also a very relationship-driven culture, um, tend to have higher belonging scores, tend to feel more of a sense of belonging at work than those in more Western cultures. Yeah. I love that in terms of, you know, the relational cultures kind of have a leg up on belonging because they already emphasize relational parts and connecting. And it's almost like individualistic cultures um, that value individualism over collectivism more, perhaps start a farther back uh, or, or um, yeah, don't see the relational orientation or i know in the u.s it's like you know ed shine talks about we build the minimal relationship in order to get the task done and don't see Mm -hmm. a need don't see a value in building it more well now in the day age where these issues of so much messiness we need to have more trust more relationships to talk and understand how to work across difference it's not emphasizing the culture unless you Mm -hmm. hold it up even higher than the culture does yeah. yeah, it it is interesting, uh, this idea of different cultures having different belonging scores. And, and as I was as you were talking, uh, Julia, I, I was wondering about the uh, the people that we were asking these questions of were people who were already in. Right. Corporation, yeah. 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 They, they were they were already in. And so I, I and I don't know what the answer is. You know, and I'm not suggesting you'd go out and do another study, but it was just something that occurred. It's like, OK, so would it be different if we asked people who weren't in, you know, who, who were not in or people who were community people, you know, compared to mm-hmm. to corporate people? You know, would would there be any difference there? What no matter what country they were in? I, I don't know. I, I just thinking out loud here. That's mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder, I don't know. What what do you th- what are your thoughts? I think it would be interesting to look at um maybe small company versus large company. Mm-hmm. And I could see it going either way, right? Okay. You could see um feeling even more of an outsider if you're at a small company and you're the only. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could feel even more of an insider, say, if you're a black entrepreneur and you're able to build the organization that you want to work at. And I think that's we have seen in other studies that for many who have been in corporate America and incredibly frustrated because they're in but not really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in but only allowed in so far uh, that that leaving and starting an organization where you can ground it in values um, that that you believe in and you feel inside because you're creating the culture 
is incredibly attractive and can be really rewarding, even though, of course, it's much less financially secure. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think another um, really um, thing that people tend to do is, uh, at least in the, the insiders, the majority men like myself, we overassume sameness. Um, we overassume that others' experience or, or, or is like ours. And, you know, if I have the highest belonging score and I assume that others feel the same way I do, I am less tuned into or less even likely to see the impacts of lower belonging stores or what it might be like for somebody to live in a corporation or an organization who has a sense of half as much belonging as I do. And, you know, uh, if I really understood that, what, what's it like for me to feel twice as much belonging as uh, others? It's like, what are the implications for me in terms of slowing down and, and understanding that and, and, and being able to bridge that world? Mm -hmm. As opposed to being oblivious to we're having different experiences. Right. And what you're almost flipping, which I think is a great way to view it for leadership, is, okay, so you feel seen, supported, connected, and proud. What are you doing to see, to connect, to support, to engender pride in others? Right. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, knowing what the elements of belonging are, if we're intentionally trying to build it for others, we know we're in the majority or for me as a white woman, very close. I can try as a leader to flip to flip that perspective and say, what am I doing to create it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's that's great, you know, uh, one of the things that I said earlier was that these these uh, points that were that are made that identify belonging, seen, supported, connected, and proud are spot on, and it is certainly something that should be used, especially at this time in in history. In my opinion, it is it is it is almost critical that leaders grab these and use them. Uh, to move us forward, you know, into a more successful space than we found ourselves in prior to and within um, pandemic and, and all that sort of thing. Um, the other thing is, is that we shouldn't and no matter what our color or gender is, we shouldn't feel like we have to protect our belonging. Mm -hmm. uh, because there's oftentimes this tendency to protect ourselves to maintain our own security, to maintain our own power, to maintain our own control over everything. And, and, and we shouldn't, at least let me say, we should be more sensitive to the actions, the words, the behaviors, the environment that we're creating only because we want to protect our belonging. Wow. Uh, that sounds like a subject of about two, two hours of really good. Which is, I mean, you just cut to the essence, Michael. I really appreciate that. It's like, and I think underneath that is a, a zero sum game, a, yes. an assumption that somehow if others belong more, I'm going to belong less. Yes. As opposed to belonging being an infinite resource that my candle and your candle, if I, yours gets lit up, mine doesn't go out. I, we all can collectively 
have a larger scale of belonging and the ship raises up for all of us. And that, that, that's like, there's a synergy there that it wasn't possible before. So yeah, you're, you're pointing to the, what's the mindset, the unconscious mindset, which I even look at the concept of belonging and assume what are my assumptions about it? And this yeah. issue of protection, calling it out when you see it as a, as a, another, um, leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have some research about belonging varies within the majority men group. And, um, I know that's really something a lot of people haven't tuned into. Right. I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that there are a lot of insider outsider dynamics. And so there's, of course, race and gender, and those are so important and often go under-recognized to your earlier point. But it is also valid to say, okay, majority men have the highest belonging scores, but there are still areas of dimension within, within the group of majority men, which we defined as straight, cis, white men in the study. And um, we wanted to understand, okay, say you have one of these elements of difference, and I'll walk through some of the ones that we identified, how does that compare to everyone else? Um, So first I'll walk through uh, the difference between majority men and just other men, men who are outside of the majority, so who are not white, cis, straight men. And no surprise, majority men have higher belonging scores than non-majority or men outside the majority. Um, But then when we look at some of the sort of axes of identity that impact even majority men's belonging, there's socioeconomic privilege. So class does play a role in terms Mm -hmm. of your insider versus outsider status. There's your political views. Do you share? And we didn't look at liberal versus conservative, but we did want to understand if you're surrounded by colleagues who share your political views versus most of your colleagues don't share your political views, that actually has quite a big spread uh, in terms of your belonging scores. If you're an extrovert versus an introvert, extroverts tend to have higher belonging scores. Parents, this was a surprise to us initially and then made sense over the long haul, you know, because we always hear, and even in this time of the pandemic, right, parents are under enormous strain. It's hard to figure out work-life balance. So we weren't sure if parents or non-parents would feel more of an affinity towards their colleagues, more like an insider at work. We actually found that parents are more insider at work, which shows how belonging it doesn't always equal, you know, being way on top of it at your career. It, it means you're connected to those around you. People in our society bond around parenthood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and now more than ever before, right? We're all trying to figure out school or, you know, yeah. what's safe, what's not. And so we saw that um, that that fathers in the majority, um, majority men who are fathers have higher belonging scores. Yeah. However, when we look at men and men outside the majority, men who are in the majority 
even if they have this dampening effect on their belonging score, it still tends to be higher than the scores of men outside the majority. So introvert, black male introverts have a lower average belonging score than white male introverts, for example. Mm-hmm. Is that you and us, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I'm introverted. <laughs> I am too. We're yeah, a group I'm of three introverts on this list. Here we go, three introverts. Okay. Very chatty introverts. Yeah, chatty introverts. We're going to have a minute of silence so we can recharge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. There's that a lot of good. space in this call to talk. <laughs> introverted. Um, Michael, what comes up as you hear those different differentials? It, it, it makes sense. Uh, it makes sense. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about, especially in a, in a corporate setting, we talked about how um, leaders want to move fast and they want to recognize or they don't want to, but they recognize people who talk loud yeah, and a lot. Right. So those are what would what we could classify as extroverted people who, you know, are always raising their hand, always got a lot to say, whether it makes sense or not, and 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 loud. And so, you know, they, they would feel like they belong more than someone who's sitting back thinking, you know, uh, you know, just sort of reflecting on what's happening here and coming up with a real solution that could work for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm not you know, that's not to just pat, you know, the introverts on the back, but it's it's it it illustrates the need for everyone to be heard. And everyone to feel like they belong. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it feels like it takes more work to invite introverts in. Um, but that is what we have to do mm-hmm. if we are going to be successful leaders in any environment, corporate or 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 any environment for that matter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, it's, it's like there are, there are big differences in belonging between minority, majority and minority men. And, and within all that stuff, uh, I love knowing there's subtle differences of, you know, the more you have sameness to the dominant characteristics, whether it's social privilege, economic privilege, or political views, introversion, extroversion, or parenting, the more comfortable or the more sense of belonging and connected you are. And I know um, that I have a tendency to to tune into where I have um, less belonging or feeling like an outsider. And that can be an introversion. Um, I'm a parent, so I don't feel that disconnect in that. Um, I know there's client systems that I work in that are more uh, conservative politically and others more liberal concern. I can feel mm-hmm. that difference. And I know mm-hmm. I looked in, looking on your, on your scale, um, Julia, it looks like the political difference is actually the biggest differential between whether you feel, whether you're the, the part of the dominant view in that system or, or one of a, a minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we heard when we followed up in interviews and focus groups on that point, which makes sense is a lot of people, uh, look for values alignment between their political, their own set of values and their political party, or their own set of values is informed in part yeah. by the yeah. political leaders that they're listening to. And so yeah. 
you can imagine that's a pretty deep clash if if that doesn't line up with people yeah. around you. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, something else with just just occurred to me as well is I, I can't re- remember where I read this, but it had something to do with organizational behavior, and it talked about the different types of organizations. Some are classified as machines, and some are classified as families. And, you know, and and the difference, you know, is that people really feel connected. They feel like they belong and they operate as a family more so than a machine where they're not even paying attention to each other. They're just getting things done. Mm. And so and so that, you know, also was just a connection, you know, for me just now about this idea of belonging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I started by saying I I had tended to notice when I have belonging less than others. Well, what I don't typically notice, and I think most of us don't notice is where we have belonging more than others. So we're tuned into more of our outsiderness. And for me, uh, you know, I, I can connect into the fact that I'm, I'm part of a organization that, um, you know, is, is owned by two white men run by two white male senior leaders. And it's, um, ironic to be a diversity consulting firm as part of our history, but, I think of myself sometimes as the beta, not the alpha male amongst that group. I think of myself more as the introvert, more as the deferring, more as the, I'm literally the only disc type that's not the driver, but the relational orientation. So I feel that all that. And yet I am a white male and I have a connection and an insiderness and I need to use that on honorably to bring voice, to bring challenge in ways that others can't that have even more outsiderness or less belonging. And so mm-hmm. as listeners, I want folks to think about not just noticing where you feel less belonging, but where do you actually have more belonging than others? Mm-hmm. And what are you doing with that uh, to create um, voice for others? Yeah. And then that, I love that. that. Yeah. Does that take us that. to this last section on, you know, how do you engage majority men um, who are in different places? Completely. Right. So I think what you're calling out is that you can use your you can use your sense of insiderness or your sense of belonging or dare I say your privilege um, to create more of that belonging for others. And so that was sort of our call to action with this research, too. We wanted to understand the relationship between being uh, having this really high sense of belonging and and sort of seeing the potential in DEI and and engaging in DEI. And so what we did, we, we of course, it was a little complicated because we wanted this uh, really robust uh, research backing for our insights. But the the first step we took was to say, of the group of majority men, what are the spread of attitudes towards diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, because there's a lot of fear that majority men simply don't get DEI or are afraid of it from a zero sum perspective, et cetera. And we were actually, you know, kind of pleasantly surprised to see that 42% of our respondents, when we asked, how important is DEI to you at work? 42% of majority men said it's very or extremely important. So more than two in five would say, this is really important. 
And then half, fully half of majority men said, it's kind of important. So either somewhat or not very, but it has some importance. And only 10% of majority men said, this is bunk. This is not at all important. So we called them detractors. Those who place some um, some importance on DEI, we said they're persuadable. You know, to borrowing from political organizing, these are the men that can be brought into the DEI movement. And then, of course, we had those true believers who thought it was very important. Then, when we looked at belonging, we actually saw that true believers, those majority men who thought who had high belong or sorry, who thought DNI were very important. Um, so just to say that a slightly different way, we found that those majority men who think DNI is very important, those true believers, they have really high belonging scores. So actually being an insider kind of correlates to being ready to welcome others. Mm-hmm. to say, actually, it's really important to have a diverse and inclusive organization. Those who are um, detractors who think there's no value in diversity, equity, and inclusion are more likely to feel like outsiders themselves. And um, Michael Lepp, as an advisor on this study, you actually helped us understand this. Mm. Because when you looked at this and I remember this conversation really clearly. You probably don't because you've had thousands since. Um, when you looked at this, you said, I bet, and it completely showed up when we conducted our qualitative, I bet for detractors, the reason they have low belonging scores is because they're jaded. Because they think, I'm an outsider. I'm an outsider at this organization as a majority man. Why should I support somebody else getting support when I'm not getting support? And, and that and, is exactly yeah. what we saw in our qualitative when we wow. started to interview people yeah. who, who thought D&I was bunk. Yeah. Well, I, that connects back to what Michael said earlier about wondering if detractors are more likely to have that perspective that they're trying to protect the belonging they have. Exactly, because which may be a scarce resource. Yeah, yeah. less, less. Of, I have less of it. I don't want to give up what I got. In fact, I need to prioritize my own before others or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, this idea too of true believers also gets gets back to for me this point of being bold in their opposition <laughs> to non belonging. I'll just use that as the term. Okay. Yeah. So if there's, if there's, if there are things that are happening that are uh, disrupting the belonging, you know, factor in, in, in their organization, in their group, that they must speak up. They must be real clear when they speak up and they must encourage the environment to do the same such that there's, you know, there, there's just energy that reduces that whole uh, the power of the distraction. And you have put your finger on our call to action, which is we need more true believers to act in exactly that way. What we see is true believers, those who believe DNI is important, are doing things like advocating for talented potential leaders. They're mentoring across lines of difference. They're trying to understand how to lead inclusively, but they're not 
taking that harder step of confronting behavior that demeans women or people of color. They're not, you know, taking this head on um, to, to sort of diminish counterproductive behavior. So they're trying to be productive, but they're not necessarily calling out the really damaging yeah. behavior that erodes belonging. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think I'm a true believer and I think I'm guilty of all that. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I just wrote an article for our internal company for a consulting newsletter for next week. And I said, I, I've three things that I've had to overcome in the last year and a half, and I'm still working on it to be more effective in interrupting and disrupting our own um, pieces that are blocking belonging. And um, one is, I have to learn to have the capacity to hold anxiety, discomfort around these topics in my body, such as racism, having that just angst that sits in me when we have those conversations. And um, I have to let my part of me die that wants approval from other people because that gets in the way of me um, interrupting, disrupting, challenging my peers and others around stuff that when I first learned to see it, Will I intervene and risk loss of my colleagueships and and then grow my ability to stay connected to myself and my sense of righteousness and core desire to want to create inclusion? Because I, I have a lifetime habit of tuning in too much to other people and losing connection to myself. So all of us, I think, have to learn, you know, when the rubber meets the road, what's the deep work we need to personally do? to step through that process where we actually are creating change, not just talking about it. Yeah. I'm so blown away by your humility. Wow. (laughs) Because, you know, (laughs) with the work that you do every day, you are so light years ahead of so many other people. And I think what you're illustrating with this reflection is we are all on a journey. And I think this takes constant reflection and work for all of us. But thank you for sharing that. It is. Yeah, I was going back to some of my oldest patterns, oldest attachment wounds, and having to work through those so I get more range of behavior to help create change. And gosh, then I get to use a more fuller version of myself in my relationships and with my family, too. So I I, I gained huge amounts. Mm-hmm. It's back to that old edge of, you know, everybody gains from this, mm-hmm. even from deep personal work to be able to help change a system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This this is uh, it is so refreshing. I I just um, I, you know I look forward to this conversation. I really appreciate it. As I think about it, um, mm-hmm. there's been conversations that I've had with leaders over the years where they sort of define soft skills versus hard skills, and you know soft skills are seen as weakness, and you know we don't have time for that, and we really have to get on with business. I would encourage anyone listening to reconsider that, to to reconsider and understand that soft skills are just as powerful, if not more powerful, for leaders to uh, be able to use honorably, to be able to use skillfully. Um, and, And especially as we look at the way the workplace is changing, it is changing. (laughs) <laughs> and with all of the energy that we have these days to get back to normal, the fact is, is that they're, they're, the normal that we saw before won't, will not be, in my opinion, in the future. 
it will be different. And so I, I've said this mm. before, say it again, we, we have an opportunity to make this better or worse, but it will not be the same. We won't get back to same, same old, same old normal. So this whole idea of belonging is a very powerful weapon to get us into a better place, uh, not only in, in corporate, but also in the world that we live in. Mm. And one of the, what's an example or two, one of those things you think will be different when we get back to quote unquote normal, or you hope will be different? Well, what, what I know will be different is that people will not, um, in, 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 and this is just my opinion, people will not put, put a workplace in, in, the same, uh, in the same space that it has held in the past. Families will be more important. Health mm-hmm. will be more important. Education will be more important. The future, uh, a future that I like to be in will be more important than me just going to the work, you know, nine to five, do the thing, you know, do what I'm told, keep my head low, you know, stay there long enough so I can get promoted. And, you know, that, you know, that whole thing of being mentored and, you know, all of those languages that we've used in the past that, that have held people together and they've held people in the workplace. I think there'll just be a, a, a new definition for that. Uh, my hope is that people will be more willing to talk to each other and to, as I mentioned earlier, to be bold in their opposition to distraction. That That's my hope. Uh, yeah. And that that will create uh, for much better working groups and teams and so forth. Mm-hmm. Sounds to me partly like creating room for the real conversations about yes. what's really going on, not just using yes. the not using the current tasks and focuses to say we don't have time for that or this isn't the right time for that conversation. Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. Well. Are there any other closing thoughts, Julia? I have a, there's so much swirling around as always uh, when I engage with you all. I think, so two thoughts that were going through my head very quickly, um, Michael Collins, as you were speaking. One is, I think implied in a lot of what you shared was that has changed is employees, and I'm talking specifically about professional employees, are differently aware of their own power in their relationship with their employers. And that has implications for how employers treat them, period. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, employees are newly aware of how much their employers need them and need their capital (laughs) um, in order to uh, complete whatever task is needs to get done at the company. And I don't know how long that's going to last with how the labor market is today. It's going to last a while. And so, you know, that that makes this belonging work ever more necessary because employees know full well they can walk out the door and find another opportunity um, where they feel more supported, seen, connected, and proud. The second thought that was swirling through my head that's a little bit bigger is, um, you know, something that we all have these lines from our parents that are in our brain, implanted in our brains. And one line from my mother that, that my mother implanted in my brain was, if you're sick, nothing else can happen. 
you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And I think as a society, we lost sight of that a little bit and the pandemic has reoriented our priorities. And I think that's going to stick around for the generations that are really experiencing this pandemic for the long term. So, you know, if we think about the long effects of the those who lived through the Great Depression or the baby boom, for us, I think those of us who lived through the pandemic, our priorities around health and family um, and out external to our professional lives have been forever changed. Yeah. And so that's going to have implications for how we want to be supported at work. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate both of you. I love our conversations and, you know, I'm just curious to Julia, you, you, just for the listeners, you have a wealth of research continually. I know we, Michael and I, 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 we're on a, we did a review that one that was earlier about what's it like to be black in corporate America. That's another podcast here on this series, but What's the direction that you're continuing next year with research? Yeah, thanks for asking. So since we published Belonging, we've been focusing on equity in the workplace. You know, belonging is all about feelings. Equity is all about the rules and systems and processes that are in place to protect fairness. So we published two of the studies. The third one's just coming out next month. Um, to look at different processes, both in U.S. companies and outside of the U.S., uh, and how they can be made more fair for all employees. Thanks. You can find that on our website, copal.org. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to be looking for those, too. Me, too. Thanks. And if there's anybody looking for some research around generational stuff, is there some of the things you have for that, too? Yeah, you know, we haven't looked at that in a while. So I will say it's it's definitely a theme of interest. Um, I think as Gen Zers enter the workplace and millennials are now the majority, we have a book from a few years ago um, that looked at, at how privilege really divides millennials into different groups um, and socioeconomic status. It's called Misunderstood Millennial Talent. Awesome. Wow. wow. Thank you. Michael, anything else for you? Not at this time. I, I as I said, I, I'm always excited to have these conversations. It it uh, just brings up so many thoughts for me. It you know it causes me to think differently, and that's something that I think that all leaders should should look for. Look for opportunities that cause cause you to think differently. Yeah. Um, you know about your circumstances, about the environments that you're leading and creating. Uh, that you find yourselves in and what it means for the future generations, uh, to Julia's point, um, because, you know, folks are still having kids and uh, those uh, kids grow and they end up in the workplace or around it. So <laughs> so what yeah. we do matters, not only for the people that we have now, yeah. but those who are coming behind us. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I appreciate, Michael, you asking people to think differently about feelings and think differently about speed and um, slowing down so that we can be with these topics. So thank you, Julia. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Insider Outsider podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. 
We at WFTP and FTP Global specialize in getting insiders to understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders as well as outsiders in building inclusive teams and organizations. Our work takes us around the globe, transforming people and companies towards a more inclusive world. For the show notes about this podcast and more about the work of WMFDP and FTP Global, visit wmfdp.com slash podcast.